We're just going to be going forward in uh, Luke's gospel. Um, we are now Luke 6, um, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. So if you need a Bible, raise a hand and uh, one of our ushers will get one to you. We, we love to go verse by verse in this church. We love to deal with the scripture. If I'm saying something that doesn't line up with the scripture, you should be able to call me out on it. Um, so we want you to have Bible in hand. If you want one, please raise, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. I'd also ask um, that you guys be a little patient with me. I, I, it seems like I came down with something late last night. So it's quite possible I'm going to lose my voice in the middle of this. I feel it going. I don't feel so well. So your prayers would be appreciated. There, there comes a time as a dad uh, when you, you can only wipe so many boogers before those boogers start to wipe you, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> And they are wiping me out right now. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's go Luke 6, start in verse 43, read to verse 45. I'll pray after that, and we'll dive into the message here. <clears throat> it says this. This is Jesus in the middle of what's been known as the Sermon on the Plain. And uh, he continues by saying this. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let's pray. God, we know that um, you're not one who is given over to appearances. You're not impressed with our religion. You're not impressed with our church attendance or whether we swear or not or how many Bible verses we've memorized. God, you're not... You're not uh, Concerned with the external of a man. So much as you are concerned with what's going on on the inside. In the heart underneath all that we do. The root underneath all the fruit. It's a scary place to, 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 to be in some sense. To lay ourselves open before almighty God. The eyes of one who sees through skin into soul. But Lord, here we are. And we're asking your word to cut like a sword, divide bone marrow, soul, spirit. Get inside us, Lord. Shine your light. And we pray by your spirit, make us new. Make us new here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, in our text here this morning, um, Jesus is really trying to answer the question, how do we become the, the kinds of people that he's been talking about previously in this sermon, beginning back up in verse 20? So one of the, one of the downsides to 
preaching uh, expositionally the way I do in a little bit more detail uh, is you can forget where we came from. Uh, and that really what we're in the middle of here and what I just read is, is, is something that comes out of a larger flow of thought in Jesus' actually own preaching ministry there. And what he's doing here, though, as I said, is he's actually in our text this morning trying to address how do you and I actually become the kinds of disciples he's been talking about from verse 20 now forward to uh, these verses, 43 to 45. How do we become people who see God and his kingdom as so compelling so valuable that we're willing to deal with poverty or hunger or weeping or persecution to lay hold of it. That's verses 20 to 26. These people seem crazy. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the weeping. Blessed are the persecuted. Why? Because they get Jesus and his kingdom. How do you become that type of person? Or how do we become people who love our enemies? This is verses 27 to 36. People who want to do good to them, bless them, pray for them, turn the other cheek to them. Let ourselves even be abused for the sake of Jesus in love for other people. How do you become that kind of a disciple, that kind of a person? Or more immediately in the context, verses 37 to 42, which is really where we spent the last five weeks. How do we become people who aren't given over to judgmentalism? Or hypocritical hypercriticism? (laughs) Meaning... A kind of people that are ready to point out the, the speck in everybody else's eye while neglecting the, the lumber yard that's developing in our own. How do we become the kind of people that turn from that and start to become wise with our words and know how to lovingly speak to others in a way that doesn't harm them anymore, but in a way that actually helps and builds them up and Helps them see, recover their sight. In other words, how do we become full-blooded, authentic disciples of Jesus Christ so that this is the sort of stuff that hangs like fruit from the branches of our lives? So that that's the stuff. When I look at my life, when I look at the branches of my life, I see, wow, laying my life down in love. I see praying for people, blessing people, using my words to help. I see this sort of fruit hanging there. How do we become that kind of a person? A true, authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps you heard Christ's words, if you were here these past weeks, and you all but despaired of ever living up to them of ever obeying or walking this out? How in the world do you become a person that feels like it's a blessing to be poor or uh, to be persecuted? How do you become that sort of insane individual? And you despaired of ever becoming such a person. 
But Jesus is trying to help us forward in this text by using the imagery of a tree and its fruit. It's amazing because he, this is what's so great about Jesus. He takes the most simple, the most mundane, everyday things. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're in some of the most deepest, profoundest realities. And you realize how he just did that to you. He took trees and fruit and he's talking about your soul. In the state of your soul before God and how you get right. How you get right. <clears throat> so I'm going to organize my thoughts this morning under three headings. First, the necessity of good fruit. Second, the priority of a good tree. And then third, the way of lasting change. Hold on one second. So first, the um, necessity of good fruit. Um, As Jesus picks up this imagery of a tree and its fruit, what he essentially is doing uh, is dropping us into a much larger discussion uh, in the scriptures. It's a discussion that takes place all the way from Old Testament, basically to the end in Revelation. This discussion of a fruit. And one of the things when we tune into this larger biblical discussion, uh, one of the things we see uh, immediately is, is that fruit, good fruit in particular, is utterly necessary. It's a necessity. And what I mean by necessity here is this. You cannot be right with God. You cannot pass through the final judgment. You will not inherit eternal life without it. And that ought to just sober us immediately, but it is the biblical fact that he will give plenty of scriptures, say, whether you're in Romans or you're in Jeremiah or other places, he will give according to the fruit of our deeds. And so there ain't no fruit there. It's not going to go well for us. Now, I could go anywhere in the scriptures for this, but I'll stay close to home in Luke's gospel. Um, Let me just give you three examples that make this point that good fruit is necessary. We've already actually heard John the Baptist say uh, something very similar. Um, he, He uttered these terrifying words on this subject when he warned the Jews coming out to be baptized by him. If you remember uh, when we covered that, this is Luke 3, starting in verse 7. John John the Baptist says this, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping. That's my son right there, (laughs) the pterodactyl in the back. (laughs) That's awesome. It's Father's Day, but he knows it. You brood of vipers. <laughs> I'm talking about this serious stuff. Sorry. <clears throat> you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Even now, verse 9, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You think that made John the Baptist very popular? No, it didn't. You think it's the biblical fact? You think it's going to move us from a place of condemnation, hopefully to a place of redemption and salvation? Yes. Hope so. 
But he's warning every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Later in Luke 13, Jesus picks up on this discussion himself. And he he tells uh, this parable to the crowd around him. This is verses six through nine. I want you to hear this. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Craziest thing is this, this literally just happened for me. Uh, we have a fig tree in my yard and my landlord came over and said, the fruit on this thing is horrible. I'm going to cut it down. I said, no, no, no. Let me let me dig around it. Put some manure down. <laughs> no. I said, I like I like how it looks. OK, well, throw away the figs because the fruit is nasty and it's good for nothing ultimately. But I like how it looks. So we'll keep it there. But you get what, what they're saying. You get the, the, the principle underneath it. If a fruit tree isn't bearing fruit, what's the point of that tree? You can cut it down. Or in Luke 20, just a final example to show you good fruit is necessary. Uh, Jesus tells us yet another parable. This time he likens Israel to tenants, tenants of like a, of a vineyard. God's vineyard. And when in harvest time, God comes to claim the fruit of his vineyard, the tenants send him away with nothing. They kill one of the guys, they kill the next guy, and then they kill his son. And, 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 and Jesus says, listen, what, what is God or the, the owner of this vineyard going to do to those tenants? What's going to happen to these guys that gave, gave God no fruit? He says in verse 16, God will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So again, good fruit is an utter necessity. And at this point, I'm just trying to set the backdrop for us for how important, how weighty these matters are. That Jesus isn't just kind of talking about nice little fun trees and, you know, whatever. He's talking about uh, salvation and how eternity is going to go for you and I. And, and how we are doing before an almighty God. He's talking about really important things and we ought to be compelled to examine our own lives at this point and start asking wait a minute do i have good fruit where am i in all of this but don't despair follow with me follow with me second um heading that i gave us there in the beginning now the priority of a good tree Good fruit, though essential and utterly necessary, is at the same time not the first priority. It is a subordinate, a secondary matter. Let me show you what I'm getting at here by looking back at our text in Luke 6. Read verses 43 and 44 again with me, and you'll see this. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree 
is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. In all of this discussion, though good fruit is critical, and it needs to be there on the branches of this tree, it is not the ultimate, the fundamental reality in play. Uh, the fruit is an effect. It is the evidence of a deeper reality, namely the tree itself. If the tree is good, the fruit will be good. That's the point. If, if, if the tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. So, yes, the fruit indicates something and it is important and it needs to be there. But the most important matter, the priority in all of this is not the fruit itself, but in fact, the state of the tree. Is it good or is it bad? Conclusion, therefore, if you want to change the fruit, you must change the tree. Now, again, we know that Jesus is not merely concerned with trees here. He's not an Arborists come to save your garden. He's the Christ come to save your soul. And with all his talk of trees, his concern is with you and me. And that's kind of where he just cuts straight to the point. He moves straight from this image to the point there in verse 45. And I want you to see it. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. In other words, I'm not talking about trees here. I'm talking about people. And so in the same way as you would uh, try to change the fruit by giving priority to changing the tree. Well, if you're going to change the fruit of your life, your thoughts, words, deeds, you don't go straight to those things. You start with what he's saying here, the heart. You go inside. All of that is coming out of this internal reality. And so if we are going to get better on the branches, we have to get better uh, in the core, at the roots, in the tree itself, the very nature, the heart the tree itself, God has to do heart work if we're going to get anything in the fruit. Now, this leads to my final heading, which is where we're going to spend the remainder and the majority of our time this morning. We've seen that good fruit is necessary. Probably scared you a little bit with that. We've seen, though, that while good fruit is necessary, it is not the priority. The priority of the matter, the deepest, most fundamental matter, is the tree, the state of the tree, or our hearts. Now, finally, I want to look at the way of lasting change. To kind of get at that original question, how do we become the sort of people that Jesus is calling us to be? How do we start to get that fruit hanging from the branches? What, how do we get changed? How do you change a tree? What do you do? Now, 
We've got to confess at the outset here that um, though Jesus' logic makes perfect sense on paper, especially in the realm of trees, I mean, I know that though I had a fig tree in one of the places I lived before that had wonderful figs, I mean, amazing figs, you just come and you just take, they're just juicy and wonderful. I know that the way to, to, to fix that is not to, to, the one that's wrong now is not to go to that other tree, bring back the fruit and kind of staple it on and somehow hope that, you know, that will catch on with this tree. I know that's not how you change this bad tree. That something has to change inside and in the roots or whatever with that tree itself, or you've got to cut it down and start again. I know that. We know that. We get Jesus' logic, but oftentimes we go about things against that logic if we really stop and think about it. Oftentimes, what we see is that when we struggle with our behaviors or our sinful tendencies or patterns uh, and the stuff that we want to change, here's what we do. We go straight away to the behavior. We go straight away to the bad fruit and we try to attack things there. We try to change things there. Directly. So let me give you a few examples and show you a bit of the futility of this. If pornography is my problem, well, I'm going to throw away my computer. I should take care of it. I don't have a computer anymore. I don't have internet access. Took care of the problem. Or if anger is my problem, well, I'm going to learn some <laughs> breathing techniques, right? So that I can kind of get to my happy place when I'm in my not so happy place. And I know how to kind of get there so I can swallow down my anger, whatever it is, and start to speak kindly again. Hmm. That should take care of the problem. If I'm struggling with substance addiction. Well, I just need to check myself in somewhere, chain myself to a bed, sweat it out, scream it out, get it out. And then I'll. I won't be an addict anymore. I remember watching the, that movie on Johnny Cash, and that's what they did, right? Get him in a room, lock him down, sweat and scream and see anything. But when he came out, hey, I'm no longer an addict, right? We took care of the problem. Or did we? Or did we? While strategies like these may prove helpful as part of a holistic approach to change, I mean, certainly you've got to chain yourself to bed sometimes. Certainly you've got to throw your computer out, you know, out the window sometimes if you're going to take sin seriously in your life. But these things are utterly insufficient when it comes to dealing with the root of the issue. They might help change certain external behaviors, but they cannot change my heart, the heart behind them, the heart beneath these behaviors. So walk back through those examples with me. I throw away my computer, but I got a phone. I throw away my phone. Well, there's a mall down the street or there's a beach 45 minutes away and there's a lot of billboards or good-looking girls walking by. You start loitering. You find other ways of feeding the need. Right? You didn't change the problem. You just shifted techniques for satisfying yourself. If anger is my problem, 
Well, I learned some, some, some new breathing techniques and that was helpful and maybe I could swallow down my anger in the moment. But there's still something there in my heart. There's still frustration, this root here. And so what happens, maybe I don't have as sharp of a tongue anymore, but I start to turn towards like, you know, the passive aggression or the cold shoulder. We learn different techniques. We just changed certain aspects of our behavior. We didn't change our hearts beneath it. I may break my addiction to this or that substance by chaining myself to a bed. But here's the sad fact of the matter. If Jesus has not satisfied my heart, then what will happen is I will simply transfer my addiction to some other object. Perhaps, maybe a more worthy, more socially acceptable object. Something like food or exercise or work. Become a workaholic. That is praised in our day. But I will still be an addict here. I will still need something to fill the void. Because I haven't addressed the deeper parts. I haven't addressed the tree. I haven't addressed the tree. Jesus gives actually an example in our text. I think it has to do with the immediate context of of don't judge and how we use our words and things. But he comes out and the, the example he gives us in verse 45 concerns our mouths and our words. And he says, if you notice there, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Well, let me ask you a question. I don't think this is popular anymore. We live in a day where everyone's scared to discipline their kids because they're going to call the authorities or whatever. But how, how many, did anybody, I don't know if you want to raise your hand or not, but uh, have, have uh, anybody have a mama that washed your mouth out with soap? You did? I'm getting some nods. That's for real. This, is, this isn't just in the sitcoms. Okay. Mama, wash your mouth out with soap. Not, not, Nothing against your mom here. It's, that's, 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 again, part of a holistic approach to heart change, okay? But think about this with me. So you let a four-letter word slip in front of your mom, right? And then, okay, to the sink you go, and there's the scrub, and there's the nasty, you know, whatever it is. I've never had it done to me. But let me ask you, how did that work for you? How, did that actually clean your mouth, and with all the soap and all the scrubbing, did that actually change the way you spoke? Now, if we're honest, yes, it changed the way we spoke in front of our mothers, right? <laughs> when mama was around, you know, I made sure I was humming the latest K-Love tune. I was reciting Bible verses, encouraging my siblings or whatever. The things coming out were wonderful. But when you're around your peers, did it change your words? Did it change your mouth? Did you soap on your lips and on your tongue? Did that change anything? When no one else was around or your mama wasn't around, it was just you and your, your bros, your, your, your friends. No, just as filthy and foul as ever. You just become more skilled at hiding it. Become more skilled at hiding. You see, there's a problem with your mouth, Jesus says, because there's a problem with your heart. And so there's not, there's not enough soap in the world that can get there. 
Make sense? To let um, psychological categories clash with biblical ones. <laughs> we don't need behavior modification. What we need is regeneration. So there are whole, you know, psychological therapy systems devoted to helping you change your behavior. We're going to do some some mind work, give you a few truths to think about, and it's going to kind of rewire you like a machine, and there will be new behavior. Or we'll, you know, give you a few positive reinforcements or negative punishments, and bam, new behavior. You'll be great. But everything I'm reading here with Jesus and everything I've read in the scriptures says, no, no, no. What we need is not merely behavior modification, but regeneration. In other words, we need something to happen deep inside here that we are, as the Bible would say, dead in our trespasses and sins. And we need to be made alive again. We need to be regenerated. Or there's going to be no real behavior modification because your behavior flows from your nature and your heart. We don't need to pick ourselves up and try again. We need to lay ourselves down before the cross of Christ and be born again. Uh, I was reminded of the book of Jeremiah. At this point, forgive me, give me another moment here. I was reminded of the uh, book of Jeremiah. Because I'd just been reading through it in my devotions uh, a little while back. And one of the things that just immediately just started to jump off the page at me as I read through this was how much God, through Jeremiah, would focus in on the heart of Israel as the problem. I mean, this should come as no surprise. This goes all the way back to the very beginning. But it's, it's, it's just amazing how Jeremiah walks us through this progression. Because what you see is God is over and over again saying, the problem is with your heart, your rebellion against me, your idolatry. It's, with, it's this issue with your heart. The reason exile is coming, it's because of what's going on inside of your heart. Let me show you this. And this is just a sampling, you guys. This is, you could have done so much more. Let me just read you this. You'll feel so encouraged when you're done. <laughs> he says this in uh, Jeremiah 4, 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. We got to get in your heart, circumcise your heart. I don't care about circumcision of the flesh. All that was to get to your heart. And it's not working. Jeremiah 4:14, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? 5:23 This people has a stubborn and rebellious heart they have turned aside and gone away their heart is the problem or 11 verse 8 yet they did not obey or incline their ear but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart 
Therefore, I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. In Jeremiah 17, 9, you probably know this one. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? It's sick. It's evil. This should change the way we watch our Disney movies, right? And we say, listen to your heart or whatever. I don't know. That's like a, it's just pop culture, is it not? Follow your heart. Uh, scriptures are saying something's wrong with my heart. God is saying something's wrong with our heart. That is the problem. Don't follow that. Change that. Okay. How? What do we do? History of Israel here points us in the direction of one conclusion, and that is we cannot do this. We cannot do this. They could not circumcise the foreskin of their hearts. They could not wash their hearts from evil. They could not even understand their own hearts, let alone heal them. So how in the world are we going to change this tree? How are we going to change what's wrong inside of me? If the whole history of Israel is playing out before the world so the world can look in and go, man, nobody can change their hearts. Well, that's exactly right. That's why God, in love, in grace, says, okay, I'm going to come down and I'm going to change this thing. So as you keep reading in Jeremiah Come to verses like these. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them. I will write it where? On their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. I'm going in here. They couldn't change it. I'm going to change it for them. The law that was outside, I'm putting it inside. And it's going to start coming out. Or you keep reading in this section. This is around Jeremiah 31, 32. And then in verse 41 of of chapter 32, we read this. I, God, will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness. With all my heart and all my soul. What if you heard that? We can't change the tree. We can't change the heart. We can't get in there and do this thing. So that actually there's good fruit coming out. But God can and he does. He's the one who does the heart work. He's the one who does the replanting. He's the one who changes the tree from the inside out. From the inside out. And he's going to do it through his son, Jesus the Christ. You remember Jesus shows up on the scene talking about this text in Jeremiah, about the new covenant, this new covenant reality. He says, this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, the promises of Jeremiah that God's going to do a work in your heart and change you there, it's coming to pass how? Through my death, through my blood, 
Because I, though I have been, you know, always bearing good fruit to the pleasure of my father, I will let the axe have its way with me. I will be cut down, not for my own sin or my own fruitlessness, but for yours. So that if you would receive me, if you would take me, trust me, believe in me, my death will count for you. And then my resurrection life will be your restart. As my spirit comes in to your inner man, inner being inside, and we change that tree. And I put, I put the law on your heart and the love for God and love for neighbor starts flowing out fruit, fresh, sweet, hanging from the branches of your tree by nature coming out by nature being produced. This is why Paul would come later and write in Romans seven, four. I love this. My brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to him who has been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. You want to bear fruit for God? It's not by climbing up the law, trying harder, fixing yourself from the outside in. It's by dying to the law with Jesus as he takes the curses for us and then raising, rising to new life in him as he breaks the bonds of sin and death and comes inside to live his fruitful life out again through us now, through us. (sighs) So you might be sitting in this room feeling like a total wreck. Like your life is a total wreck. You're looking at all the fruit. And you're going, it's all rotten. All I see is rottenness. And one of the first things we need to do, not deal with all that. Just put that aside for a moment. All the stuff you wish you could change. All the filth. All the sin. All the ways you feel like you fall short. Put that stuff aside. Let's just come back again to Christ. Let's get us, let's make sure we're plugged into the vine. Because that's how we bear fruit. As the, as the Holy Spirit sap kind of flows through the vine to the branch. Well, then we start to bear fruit. Now, all that stuff we're worried about, it starts to take care of itself as we're plugged into him. I, I'm going through a marriage book right now with um, a couple in our church. And I love the way it's organized. I love it. Because this, this book's solid. It's going to discuss all the major hot topic kind of, you know, hot button issue or whatever uh, that marriage, you know, uh, marriage has and that you'd want to discuss. But I love where it begins. Because it begins with the gospel. It begins with where are you at with Jesus personally? Before we can talk about all these other things that I know you want to fix, like conflict, you know, resolution and and sexual intimacy and how to handle finances and gender roles and all this stuff that we want to jump to and fix it there at the fruit level. This guy knows. No, 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 no. 
If that stuff is going to get fixed, quote unquote, it's going to be because Jesus is at the center. It's going to be because you've been plugged in to Christ and the gospel is moving you and his spirit is moving out from you. You've seen how accepted you are, how loved you are. You've heard his promises. You've felt his love. You've been changed from the inside out. You don't handle your finances the same way after you've been humbled and amazed by the cross. Right? You don't handle sexuality. It's not about you anymore. But she doesn't do this. Even sexuality is given as an act for me to serve my wife. Not demand stuff, right? It changes everything. If you're getting uncomfortable, I'm going to make you more uncomfortable in a moment. I'm sorry. That one wasn't in my mind. (laughs) But it's true. It changes everything. And he knows it. That's why he starts the book with the gospel. Jesus changes the tree. And when you change the tree, the fruit flows from it. So, kind of drawing things to a close here. If you're not a Christian, If you're not a Christian in this room this morning, the plea is for you to come to Christ. The plea is for you to come to Christ, to repent of this stuff, but not try to fix it in your own strength, but come to Jesus. Receive what Jesus has done in his death and his resurrection. Receive that so that, man, my old, the old tree is cut down in Jesus so that I can be made into the good, the new tree and bear fruit in him he's putting me back together if you are already a christian and you are uh, self-reflective and you read the scriptures carefully my sense is that there probably is something still left nagging at you from verse 43 at least there should be at least there should be and i'm going to end with this let me read this to you this is how our text began remember verse 43 No good tree bears bad fruit. Don't just let that pass through. Think about it. And struggle with it. Any Christian in here bear bad fruit? Anyone feel like their thoughts aren't always pure? Their words aren't always uplifting and their deeds aren't always kind? What do you do with that? Are you not a good tree? Am I not a good tree? Am I not a Christian? What is going on in that verse? What is Jesus saying? I'm going to help you there here as we close. If this is where you're at, and I assume all of us are there because none of us are yet in glory. I want to assure you with this. Good fruit is not composed merely of good behavior, but also of good reactions to bad behavior. I'm going to read it again because I think it's that important. Good fruit is not composed merely of good behavior, but also of good reactions to bad behavior. I agree with what A.W. Pink here says, a bit archaic language, but hear him. It is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it that distinguishes the child of God from empty professors. Not your 
college professors, people professing to be in Jesus. How do you know if someone is a good tree or not? If someone is a Christian or a pretender, well, A.W. Pink, and I'm saying with him here, what we need to do is not look for perfection. But how does that person handle the imperfections that remain in their flesh? That's where you start to see something. Sure, we're looking for the positive direction of fruit. But you know what? There is a negative direction of fruit too. In other words, do we grieve over the lack of fruit? And wish we had more. So are we buddy-buddy with the things God calls us to make war on? And we've grown comfortable in our sin. Well then, gosh, we don't necessarily have any reason to think we're the good tree. If we got no problem with things that Jesus says you should have nothing to do with. But if we're over here and we grieve and we, we cry out with Paul, wretched man that I am. And we, we, we long to see ourselves grow more in conformity to Christ. I'm telling you, that's a part of the good fruit, you guys. That doesn't get in there naturally. That is the law written on your heart. That is the spirit inside of you. That is the sign of a good tree. I might put it like this. For the Christian, sin is no longer so much from his nature as it is against his nature. Because Jesus has changed us in a fundamental way, sin is no longer so much an expression of my heart as it is an attack on my heart. Now, don't hear me say that we're not responsible. We are. But there is a principle, a a principle put even more fundamentally in my being that now says sin isn't the overflow of all that I am. It's actually an attack on who I now am in Jesus. I said I was going to make you a little bit more uncomfortable. I'm going to to do that right now uh, to give you an example. I want to get a little bit raw with you just for a second because this is the example that came to my mind. And it might stick with you, unfortunately. Before I became a Christian, I was, like many uh, young men, addicted to pornography. Okay. Why stop? It feels good. I like doing it. What? No, I'm not a believer. I have no moral compass to do what feels good. Addicted to pornography with all the rest of my friends. And then Christ got a hold of me. He forgave me. He regenerated my nature. He put his spirit within me. He wrote his law on my heart. He changed the tree. Like that. But I still wanted to go back, right? I have this this track record, this, these habits of sin. And I wanted to run that track again. And, and, and I wanted to keep taking hits, so to speak, off the internet, right? Of my drug. But I couldn't do it. At least not in the same way. I, I would try, but here's how it would go down. Literally, as I would get on the internet or something like that, my whole body would start to shake now. As if something inside of me knew 
that what I was about to do or to look at or whatever was absolutely filthy in the sight of God. And so it was almost like something inside of me was staging a revolt against what in my flesh I thought I wanted to do. You see, the spirit is in me now. And so, yes, I am going to the same sites and trying to look at the same images, but I'm not the same person anymore. And so you just, it's not a delight. There's something in me saying, no, this is not from my nature. This is now an attack on who I am. You've given yourself to lies. The spirit in me grieving and, 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 and before long, me personally grieving as well, repenting, growing in holiness and conformity to Christ. You see how the good tree doesn't necessarily mean that we are, you know, free from sin, but it certainly means we will not be able to sin in the same way anymore. It's an attack on our hearts, not an expression of it. And he will move us forward from one degree of glory to the next. Because, look at me, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a good tree. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that again and again and again. If you are in Christ, you are a good tree. Something decisive has happened. As decisive as being born in the deepest part of you. You're right with God. He loves you. He's in you. And he will get you through to glory. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, I feel like I just laid myself out there, but I pray, Jesus, that, well, I praise you, God. I praise you for your faithfulness. I praise you that you change the tree, that you do what we can't do. And God, I pray for people here that have been trying really hard. I pray that if they they put their efforts anywhere, it would be to fight for faith. (laughs) That you are enough. That you are enough. That you are the power source for new life. And fruit bearing. And we thank you. We honor the son. We honor the only true fruitful vine. And we're just so grateful that we've been grafted in. We worship you Jesus now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.